Tonight's episode of the BS Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by ZipRecruiter. If you're an employer, you know how challenging it can be to hire, but right now you face even more challenges. Matson Resources could relate. They needed to hire a seasoned senior Citrix administrator to provide IT support. So they turned to our presenting sponsor, ZipRecruiter. That's how they found Peter Alcantar Jr. He was laid off during COVID-19, needed to find another job quickly. So he posted his resume at ZipRecruiter. They identified him as a great match for the role at Madsen Resources. Hired him in less than three weeks. See how ZipRecruiter can help you hire. Try it now for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. We're also brought to you by the new HBO documentary, Showbiz Kids, which premiered on Tuesday. Got awesome reviews. I'm one of the executive producers of it. It is directed by Alex Winter. And you can find it right now on HBO On Demand. HBO Go, HBO Max. Yeah. Go watch it if you haven't already. It's really good. We're really proud of it. The Ringer Podcast Network, couple new podcasts that we launched this week that will officially be launching next week, but you can subscribe now. One is called The Connect with Jace Concepcion and Shea Serrano. That is a movie podcast with a unique twist that they will tell you about when you listen to that first one. And The Ringer Fantasy Football Show. So you heard this. On the Ringer NFL show, the last two seasons, Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz, Craig Horlbeck, who's producing this podcast, actually. The three of them, we're spinning them off. They have their own podcast. You can subscribe right now. It's excellent. They go deep dive on all kinds of fantasy stuff. A lot of fun things. I really enjoyed listening to it last year. And uh, we're going to step it up in a couple different ways. So you can listen to that. Next week when it launches, you can subscribe now. And uh, we have a couple more announcements coming with the podcast network over the next uh, seven, eight days. So stay tuned for those. Coming up, we're going to talk to Ennis Cantor from the Boston Celtics um, about a whole bunch of stuff. He's had a really interesting career and uh, his own experiences with social justice and everything that's happened to him in Turkey. Just fascinating, especially the last 20 minutes of that interview. And then I remember he came on after his sixth title. It was right at the start of the ringer. Um, and now he's coming back because he just won again. Johnny Bananas, the greatest challenge star of all time on MTV's uh, The Challenge. He won again. He won another season. We're going to come and talk about that and, uh, and about how to fix the challenge going forward. I have a couple ideas. I've been known to have some ideas from time to time. That's all coming up. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. Okay, he's in the bubble, Mr. Cantor. Yep. What are my Celtics? It's good to see you. It's good to see your face. I'm happy. Basketball's back. I'm good, man. I appreciate for all the support. I've been mean, following you. So, I mean, all the thanks for all the love for you, you to say Celtics. Definitely means a lot. Well, I sat, my son and I sat, um, we got last minute, we got uh, seats right next to the Celtics bench for Celtics Clippers game. And okay. he was sitting next to the players. And you gave him like five high fives during the game and oh, was super okay. nice to him. So he loves you now. Yeah, he's like, that oh, guy. That guy was really nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him I say hi. That's good. How have you? How did you stay in shape during the uh, pandemic? What were you doing? 
during the pandemic, it was Ramadan, so I fasted most of the time. So I didn't get yeah. that much weight. But like to me, the problem was like we couldn't really go anywhere to just you know uh, practice or work out. So like literally, I was trying to I was I was at home trying to do best I can best I can to stay in shape. Right. I was lifting suitcases, full of clothes. <laughs> you know, um, you were so lifting I, suitcases. This was a thing that happened. Oh my god! Because like I didn't have any weights in my in my house, right? And yeah. I was like, I gotta stay in shape. And we had this like Zoom Zoom uh, meetings with the, our strength coach, and yeah. like he was telling us like what to do and stuff. I'm like, I got no weight, so I'm like I gotta start using like the suitcases. I was doing squats with it, the curls with it, and stuff. Did you have a hoop at your house, or did you have to? You didn't even have that. So I, my man, I, I, uh, I actually go to went to Chicago. My manager had a hoop in his house, so like I started working out there. Yeah, and it was a blessing. Trust me, it was like I was dying to just go out there and play basketball again. So it seems like as this comes back and everybody goes back into the bubble, it's gone one of two ways. Either some people are like hesitant, but they know from a financial standpoint, from yeah. a standpoint of the collective bargaining agreement, they kind of have to go along with this. And then there's mm-hmm. another side that's like, I just love basketball. I'm so happy I'm back here. Which side are you on? I mean, let me tell you something. Not just me, but like that. We had a conversation with the whole uh, Celtics, you know? Uh, we knew about like the, the financial stuff, all that stuff. But like, we just said, we just want to go out there and play basketball, man. Because we miss just being around each other. We miss uh, like, you know, having fun at practice. We miss just, you know, uh, just having fun with each other. I think it's just, uh, for me, it was just, just the fun part, you know, I miss yeah. playing basketball. So it just, especially like you, when you lose it, you understand how important it is. Just being around right. with my teammates, play basketball, trash talk them in the practice. So like, that's what I missed. Yeah. I was talking to JJ Redick about it this week and he was uh-huh. saying how, you know, all you guys have been playing basketball since you were like four years old, five years old, right. six years old, whatever. And it's been like a constant. And to just have that taken away exactly. for yep. three months, three and a half months is just disorienting. There's never been a time in your life probably where you didn't play basketball for three weeks unless you were hurt. I mean, you, now you appreciate more. Whenever you are out there, you're like, man, I couldn't play basketball for like, what, three months now. So like, Whenever you practice, whenever you work out, whenever you do individual work or lift, you're like, you appreciate the work more. Right. You guys really liked each other this year, which was a lot different than last year. Well, you were not on last year's team. Um, yeah. What have you heard about last year compared to this year? Or have you not heard anything? It's just everybody's happy this year. Um, first of all, I mean, we this year, we are just all basketball players. We know how to go out there and play basketball and hoop. The important thing is, man, for us to just build that chemistry because yeah, it's it was for us. It was so important. The better friends we come, the better you know the teammates we are going to be. So we know that from the day one, Coach Brett said, "Hey, you know, the important thing is just becoming good friends, being always have each other's back, no matter what. You know, on the court, we're right or we're wrong, have each other's back. Yeah. You know? Um, I I mean, I heard like even like when I visited the mayor of Boston or, or when I visited the governor, they all say the same thing. Wow, this year's team is way different than the way different last year's team. I'm like, what happened last year that just even like the governor and mayors and everybody talks about it. But I yeah. think, you know, our our focus right now is just this year what we can do, what can we bring 
that to the table and how can we help each other? Yeah, I think last year's team, it was interesting because the team had overachieved for a few years there with Stevens. And there was that really memorable Isaiah Thomas team in 2017 when he was like a borderline MVP candidate. I think he finished like fifth or sixth in the voting. And it was just like the little team that could. It was all these mismatched pieces. They loved playing with each other and they were able to get to the conference finals. And then in 2018, Kyrie goes down. Same thing. They overachieved. They band together. And then last year was so jarring. And then coming back this year, um, so much fun to watch. And, you know, I, I mean, obviously, when you have a pandemic, that trumps everything that's happening. Exactly. But I really missed watching the team, you know? And you think like, yeah, it's not in the top 10 worst things in the pandemic. But at the same time, I was like, man, I really had grown attached to watching these guys. And I, right. I just feel this void that I don't get to watch games. So it's nice to have you guys back. Yeah, man. So like, especially like you said, like especially beginning of this year, we had one goal to prove the haters wrong, you know, yeah. because like, man, like there were so many posts out there. It was like, hey, they lost two of their best players. They're not going to be the same. They might finish it like maybe seventh or eighth. Right. Um, we came to together, actually. We had a conversation with the team. It was like, hey, let's just go out there, avoid all the distraction haters gonna hate you can't do nothing about it and just go out there and just show the whole world that they're wrong about us you know and i think like we did an amazing job man i think our job is not done uh but i think so far i feel like we did an amazing job well it's interesting the Celts are not being mentioned as people start to wrap their heads around all right who's gonna win the title it looks like basketball is coming back and everybody's just like bucks lakers clippers yep this celtics team played really well against the Lakers and Clippers. And if anything, if you're going to make the case, like who is going to be maybe a surprise entry in the finals or whatever, you would point to those games, especially the two Clippers games and both Laker games. And you would point to the young legs thing. Cause you guys are going to be playing a ton of basketball in a short period of time. Wouldn't that advantage younger teams like the Celtics? For sure, man. I mean, I would just say, say this first. I mean, when Lakers came to Boston and beat them by 32, and yeah. when we went there, you know, we barely, they barely like, what, the two points? Was it two points or four points or something like that? Well, they, I, I will say the refs, the refs were, uh, were wearing the Laker jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> that game, they, there were yeah. not a lot of calls for the Celtics in the fourth quarter of that game, but yeah, they won, but I felt like that was a tight game. Yeah, but but I feel like, man, I feel like we can beat every team on every floor. I'm not worried about, you know, anything else but just us. You know, like, like right. a lot of people, are, like you said, saying the Bucks, the Lakers, the Clippers, man. We're just focusing on us because I believe we have enough talent in that locker room to beat anybody. Uh, right. We just need to stay together. I mean, obviously, we had a, we had a very young team. But I think, you know, with the leading of Campbell Walker and Gordon yeah. Hayward, man, I think they, it's going to take us to the next level. And there was a couple of hiccups during the season that for like people like me that watch all the games, you know, mm-hmm. the season ebbs and flows, guys get little injuries, whatever. Hayward got hurt right when he was playing incredible. Yeah. And he was arguably the best, he was playing the best out of anyone on the team. And you could really see the full potential of the three wings together. And then he hurt his hand mm-hmm. and, and, it never 100% came back. There were flashes of it, but not like before he got hurt. So I'm hoping with him, we'll see we'll see that consistency that we saw before he hurt his hand. And then Kemba started to have the knee issues. What's the deal with him now? How does he look in these practices? 
he looks good, man. He looks good. He looks leaner. Uh, he looks in really good shape. But right now, we need him in a long run. You know, it's gonna be yeah. a long eight games. After the eight games, gonna be a long playoff run. You know, yeah. And we're gonna need him in every position. Uh, so I feel like uh, people. I mean, I, I see a lot of Celtics, you know, fans are just commenting about it, but like they need to relax about it. I mean, that's just in his nature. Good. Just he just wanna go out there and start hooping. I mean, he's Kemba Walker. He's an all-star, you know? Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not really worried about them. But w- what amazed me so much is even when he's on a sideline, he talks a lot. He always engages with his teammate. He's a leader. He's leading his team. So that's what makes me really, you know, excited. Why do people love him so much? I, I think even before he came to Boston, he was yep. one of the most beloved guys in the league, even with guys on other team, yeah. teams. What is it about him? I mean, I play with so many players. It's my ninth in the league. He is definitely the most humble and down to earth superstar that I have seen that I have played. Wow. You know, it's just the guy, the dude is just good, man. Good, good, just good human being. You know, uh, obviously you can. I mean, I can't say enough about his game. It's just it, it's crazy what he does on the court, but uh, but it's just off the court, man. It's just a good dude, uh, down to earth, very humble, always. You know, trying to help others, trying to help the uh, rookies out so like he's I, I, I like him a lot when Tatum had the little leap that he made which was about mm-hmm. six weeks before the pandemic hit yeah. and all of a sudden he's starting to look like all right this guy might actually be one of the 10 best players in the league yep. could you you show up in when September uh-huh. did you see that coming from September to January did you feel like oh this guy's gonna unlock something and something magical is gonna happen here I never seen any player got so much better uh, during that like four or five months months of period. You know, wow. so like when he started the season, I mean, he was good. Obviously, he was still like one of the best uh, players out there. But like before the pandemic, I mean, this dude what averaged what almost like thirty points. There was right. no way stopping him. Some of the like the shots he made, we turn around like each other on the bench. It's like, did he really do that? Like, did he really <laughs> make that? But I mean, he's getting better, man. He's doing this dude is still like 20, what, 22, 21, 22, yeah. something like that. I right. mean, I, I think in like in a few years, uh, he's definitely going to be like top five, top six players in the league. You played with two legendary workout guys, uh, mm-hmm. Westbrook and Durant, two mm-hmm. guys who put in the time 24 seven. Right. Where does he, where does his work ethic compare to those guys? I mean, he's younger. You weren't with Durant and Westbrook. Yeah. When did you show up in OKC? What, 2014, 15? Uh, 15, yeah. Yeah, so you, they were kind of established full veterans at that point. But where does he mm-hmm. rank with those guys with the work ethic? I mean, he, he's definitely up there. I mean, obviously, Westbrook and KD was definitely his, his – their work ethic was something that I never seen before. You know, his competitiveness, even like when they played one-on-one, it was just wild, you know? But I, 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 can, I can see the same edge and same fire in – Jason Tatum's eyes. I mean, whenever he's out there, whenever he plays one on one, whenever he plays five on five, he's going out there to destroy everybody. Right. You know. So like, I, I, I'm I'm excited about him, man. Celtics fans should feel very lucky to have him on their side. And he also, you know, Jalen got there a year earlier than him, and mm-hmm. Jalen was awesome this season. And you know, I, I think it's the type of player every single team is looking for in every draft, every free agency, right. whatever. Um, I, I like that there's like a, a, I hesitate to call it competitiveness, but you know, they, they, they came in on the team at the same time. They're basically both wing guys 
And I think as Tatum gets better, in a weird way, that's better for Jalen too, because you, you like brothers trying to catch up to each other. Right, Did right, you right. feel that this season? I mean, they always push each other, man. Like in the practice, if they're in the same team, it's it, it gets ugly. <laughs> yeah. If they're the same team, it gets very ugly. But if they go against each other, man, they always they always push each other to be the best because obviously Jalen is. Uh, we know what Jalen can do, and we know what Jason can do. But like when they go each other, it's like. One of the most fun matchups I've ever watched because they just both good dudes, both good players. But you know what? They they compete and yeah. they are pushing each other in the practice, and that that what makes them so uh, so good. So when you got to OKC, mm-hmm. Durant had already won an MVP, and Westbrook was already like a top seven eight guy, and media guys like me were saying. This can't last. One of them is going to have to eventually be the alpha dog. Um, there's, there's at some point, this has to be one of these two guys' team. Did you feel that those that when you were in OKC, did you feel like there was a little tug of war with whose team it was? Well, like, see, when I was with OKC, we like we never sort of in the locker room like as any of the players. I mean, they they respect each other so much, obviously. Right. You know, the KD and Russ, obviously, like like you said, media was just always like trying to like say, okay, who is this team, whatever. But I think, you That's know. That's what we do. Exactly. <laughs> I know, just for, but like, no, man, like we never felt that really in, in a locker room. They yeah. respected each other so much. I mean, obviously, when they were going against each other, even in a, a practice, they were just, it was so much fun, so much trash to talking, obviously. But other than that, man, we just, they were just competing in a highest uh, level. So we never, I mean, we never felt that. We never said, okay, this is Katie's team or this is Rusty. We were saying, okay, this is Oklahoma City Thunder and yeah. let's go out there and play together. When you think back now, it's been a few years, four years mm-hmm. since that Warrior Series. You're up 3-1. Yeah. Oh, it seems like you have it. I went to game five in, in Oakland and I actually thought you guys were going to win. I thought you were just better. I thought the Warriors were worn down from the 73-win yeah. season, all that stuff. And... KD didn't play well. Westbrook didn't play well. You lose, but you're hanging around in that game. And it felt like game six, this is done. This is a wrap. Yeah, exactly. And you, you're you up 10, you're up 11, you're up nine, but you you never land the knockout blow to go up like by 18. They hang right. around. Clay has an out-of-body experience. Steph makes a couple threes. All of a sudden, you lose. What was that like during that game? Uh, it was tough, man. Um, every time I still go out, whenever I go to Auckland, I just like get back with bad memories, you know, still remember that game. I hate that arena. I'm glad that they changed it now. (laughs) But, uh, going to game seven, I, in Auckland, I just saw in people's eyes, they, it was just, everybody was just so down. You know, going to game seven, because when we were up 3-1, everybody was just so hyped and whatever. And then when they were starting to come back, and then we were good game, you know, five and six. But like when we lost the game six, man, going to Auckland, uh, in the bus, I look at people's eyes. They, they, were, they were, everybody was just so down, you know, because they were just couldn't believe that, you know, they, they were coming back. Right. But um, when they won game seven, I think every player in the locker room was crying. Wow. Yep. Everybody, I saw everybody. And I, I looked around. I put my head up. I looked around. Everybody was crying in the locker room. Um, it was just tough because we knew we knew that if we would have beat 
you know, uh, Golden State, we could have beat Cleveland. Oh, so like, that, yeah. that was like, man, I can't believe, you know, we blew it up. I actually, I thought you guys were the best playoff team that year. Mm-hmm. And we did, a, we did a rewatchables on game six for the Book of Basketball podcast. Mm-hmm. So we really watched that game carefully. It's a pretty fluky game. I think it's a game where Clay has to be that unbelievable and that great for you guys to lose. Because you guys played pretty well. You actually played well in that game. But um, And then the last five minutes, the pressure of it and the fact that every time you think you have them on the ropes, Clay makes a shot or Steph makes a shot. And then I I really think the last four minutes, like uh, you guys just got rattled. The crowd gets nervous. And I've been in arenas where that happens, where sometimes that's worse when it happens at home because you can feel it, right? You can feel it in the air. Everybody's like, oh, shit, what's happening? And that's just one of those games. It's a great fork in the road game because I do you think KD leaves if you guys win the title? If you would have win that title that year, I don't think KD would have leave. I don't think he would have either. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he would have leave. I mean, because I mean, obviously, all the people of NoKC give him everything: the fans, the organization, coaching staff, the players. They love him so much. He was just part of our family, you know. So I, I feel like if we would win, I don't think he would have leave. I think he would have at least signed like a one in one deal and yeah. come back to like defend it. And if you guys lost, then he leaves, something like that. That was uh, that was the plan. I mean, uh, after actually we lost, we were like, hey, we know what can we we can capable of. So let's just come back again next year and try to win it all. When did you realize he was leaving? I heard him. I mean, he obviously he didn't tell anybody. Um, he told us, uh, no, he didn't say. We, I just saw it on uh, Twitter. I just saw it on oh, Twitter. Oh, really? So you didn't even yeah. see any signs? No, no signs, uh, nothing. Um, he just, we just saw it on Twitter and then everybody, like everybody, I was shocked. I'm like, wow. Like, why? Do you think he, is he the best forward other than LeBron that's been in the league since you joined the league? I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he is the best scorer for sure. Where would you put him against Kawhi? That's a tough question. Because that would be mean, the other that would be the battle for the number two spot, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean Kawhi is a two-way, I mean, two-way foot player. So like he fan. But I, Katie's a better scorer. I I yeah. I'll take Kawhi over over my thing, but Katie's a way way better scorer. Interesting. Um, did you see the whole Westbrook when KD leaves and everybody's like, oh, okay, it's done, okay, so he's done, that's it. Did you see what was gonna happen with Westbrook? I mean, he, got, he basically became this, the star of a superhero movie for a year and turns into the walking triple-double, all that stuff. Like, did you, could you have guessed that? I mean, he gave everything he had, man. I mean, I saw this guy was hurt, still go, trying to go out there and play basketball. Because, like, I mean, we wanted to prove something. We wanted to show something. Like, we still got it. We still can do it. And this guy just... Just give everything he had. I mean, this guy averaged triple double two, three years in a row. I don't think. Yeah, and not any, not so many players can do that <laughs> ever. But uh, he tried to give everything he had, man. I know so many times he was hurt, so many times, you know, he had a lot of pain, but he still went out there with his teammates and tried to try to battle. The thing that was strange to watch from afar, because usually when guys are doing that and they're like the one man show to that degree, mm-hmm. there's usually with the teammates. 
the teammates, you can just kind of see it sometimes. Like, all right, this sucks. I'm going to get four shots today, or I'm not going to get the ball, or I'm basically just setting picks for this guy. But it seemed like you guys were all really pulling for him. And I, I thought that dynamic was really strange that all of you guys were really invested in his success in a way that I thought for the NBA was a little bit unusual. I mean, no, we were just, I mean, he was making history, man. And we were just, he, I mean, for his teammate, we were just so happy to be part of the history, you know? Obviously, he, he won an MVP that, that year, and uh, he averaged triple, double and everything. When he actually broke the Oscars Robert 40 to a triple double, I, you should have seen the locker room. And everybody yeah. was just celebrating it. And it's like, we won, we won a championship. Because it, it's like... When he does, when he does something, it's like it's sort of all of us, you know, because we all try to help them to get there, you know, and right. he knows that. And we were just so happy for him, and he was just so happy to be uh, made history with us. All right, it's been three years. You can admit it. How many how many rebounds did you kind of let him have over the course of the eighty two games? Like, was it like one a game? You just kind of let him have it. <laughs> I'll tell I'll tell you this. I promise you, man. Like, no, like people think that I let. Like the big, the big. You and Adams. It was like you and Adams are just letting them have the rebounds. (laughs) I promise, though, that that's what people think. But like, no, I was literally going out. But this dude got like a another, you know, layer. The jump for he was just going out and getting rebounds. I mean, it's just it's not. (laughs) That's what people think that me and Steven Adams just let him get all the rebounds. I mean, that year I averaged like seven something, seven something rebounds, and Steven Adams like averaged averaged is the same. So he was, that was on him, man. That was just, he was just going out there and just getting all the rebounds. Who do you think since, so you came in the league, the 2011 draft, right? Mm-hmm. Who's the best athlete? I'm not talking basketball player. I'm mm-hmm. saying best, best athlete of that decade that you've been in basketball games with. Cause is it, cause Westbrook would be one of the candidates. LeBron would be in there. I probably, I probably that too. I probably that put that two on a, on the top. KD and. I was like, okay, sorry, Russ and LeBron. As top because two. That's top two. And like, the thing is like, with Russ, is like, I don't know how. Because like, whenever we go to a, we go to a, like a hotel, OKC's uh, rules are very strict. We all, we have to eat always organic, right? Yeah. This dude was, Russ was, he ordered his unorganic food because <laughs> he was saying like, organic food doesn't taste like anything. Yeah, or like when he when he was in a plane, he was eating chips, gummy bears, drinking snapples. I'm like, how do you eat like this and just perform like it's like it's it's wild. Yeah, they used to say Iverson was like that too. There's certain guys who are just like genetically they're on on some other plane where they doesn't matter what they eat, doesn't matter if they sleep. Yeah, so like Sabonis was a rookie that year. The one Sabonis was a rookie that year, and then his one of his rookie duties was bringing Snapple in the plane for us every road trip, right? So Sabonis one time brought him a um, diet Snapple, and yeah. Russ was going crazy. He's like, "What are you doing? I don't want diet Snapple." And <laughs> Sabonis was sitting next to him, and he was like, "I mean, he's an athlete. I thought he, you know, he didn't want to right. take uh, normal Snapple." Did um, did you see what was coming with Sabonis? Because he's like one of the 25 best players in the league now. I'll be honest with you, no. Because like when he was going against me and Steven Adams, right? One-on-one. It was his first year. I mean, me and Steven Adams was just, you know, just was going at him hard every time. Like we were not taking any. But what 
made me like so surprised about him. He never gave up. Never yeah. give up. Obviously, me and him, me and Steven Hans was like been in the league for like five, six, six, seven years at that time. But like we were like trying to bully him every time. But he was just like trying to stand against us. I'm like, wow, this dude is like got the fire in, fire in him. But uh, when he get traded to Indiana, uh, I talked to him that night. I'm like, dude, listen, you know, uh, I, I I I I was there before I got traded. But the important thing is, man, now it's just have fun with it. That's your city now. Just now you and Vic, just go out and have fun. And man, the process that he, he has made is just so unbelievable, man. He's having fun. He's making himself better. He's making everybody else better around him. So it's, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, happy for him. Well, it's interesting to watch a big with the way basketball is played now, where it's just basically like, all right, everybody's staying around the three point line, mm-hmm. which is threes. And he's, doing a whole bunch of stuff, right? He's posting up, he's trying to draw double teams, finding people, stuff like that. That's kind of become a lost art. I mean, you're the ultimate example of that. You're the kind of guy that in 1985, you, you just, that was like the area you should have played in. You're in the wrong well, I know, era. I know. And you're, you're, <laughs> you go back and watch like the 1999 playoffs and you would have like mm-hmm. loved it. You would have been playing like 40 yep. minutes a game. Um, but I, I've been impressed by how he's able to to flip that. Did you see the Oladipo thing coming? Oladipo, I mean, that I knew. I mean, he, obviously, when he was in Orlando, he was a really good uh, player. But then when, when he came to us, he actually got hurt a little bit, and then he came back. I mean, he was always a skilled player, but I didn't know he was going to be an all star. Right. But like when he went to Indiana, man, he just I was like, okay, I'm going to put the whole Indiana on my back. This is my city now. I'm just going to just carry the whole team. So, I mean, and, and he did it. What happened with you and Adams when you guys finally separated? Because Oh, guys man, were, it was... You guys were like tough. a buddy cop movie. I, yeah. it, was t- it was one of my favorite combos in the league. It was really fun to watch you guys play together. And there was a lot of comedy that came out of it, too. It was sad. Me, well, one thing about me and Steven Adams, obviously, we, we played the same position but there were there were never jealousy you know we always yeah. try to push each other to get a better uh we know we knew our role we know what what what, what can we do on, uh, on the court but like what matters man important is just off the court building those uh, uh, friendships uh relationship with your teammates because the basketball will gonna end like what 14 15 the total year if you play yeah but the like, important thing is the bridges you made uh, when you were playing basketball. So Steven Adams, man, he was one of my uh, best friends in the league, still is. I'm still talking to him. I remember uh, the last year of Portland OKC series, we literally texted every after practice. Yeah. It was like, hey, next time I see him, I'll punch you in the stomach. And next time we got to so we was all trash talking to uh, each other after the games, during the games. But he's a good man, man. He's very, he's real. Is it possible for him to feel pain or no? Can he feel pain? Does he have pain <laughs> pain sensors in his body? I feel like he could play with like a broken leg. He could play like 30 minutes. I think I would just say this, man. He's, he is the most strongest man in the whole league. Yeah. Like there, there's so many debates out there. Okay, who is, whatever. I see one player that's stronger than him was Pekovic. And Pekovic retired. Our gun league now, I think I'll say Steven Adams. But like... When me and him was playing like one on one, you could like hear the bones cracking. You know, this dude is just in a different level, man. If is he your number one choice? If 
you were about to be in a bar fight and you needed one NBA player with you? I'm taking Marcus Smart. <laughs> wow! Yeah, what a win Marcus for the Smart. Celtics. <laughs> I'll take it smarty. Yeah, I will say this is this is the thing Jalen Rose and I used to always talk about about uh the the difference between NBA tough and actual tough. And when sometimes when things go down on the court and people act NBA oh, tough, yeah. and then there's other guys who are like exactly. I'm actually ready to fight. If you guys want to do this, I'm here right now. Marcus is one of those guys. He's oh, not yeah, afraid he, of literally anything. When he loses, you know, he loses it, trust me. And like in NBA, there's not many like real fights. Like maybe once or twice happens because they know like, if you throw a punch, it's a $50,000 fight. Right, right, right. Throwing a punch. Or like they know that the ref's going to come and just spread them out. So there's not really like real fights out there. But off the court, man, I'm definitely taking somebody. He will go to war with you and he wouldn't say anything. He wouldn't complain about it. So Marcus Smart and Steven Adams start eyeballing each other on the court. We should all run for our lives. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you go to Portland and you get to play with Dame. Mm -hmm. How would you compare him from a superstar way he carries himself, work ethic, all that stuff to, uh, to KD, Russ, and some of the other great guys you played with? Oh, man, I feel like, you know, I picked Portland Trailblazer. So after uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was done with the Knicks. Uh, gladly, I was done with the Knicks. Uh, yeah. I had two choices. It was either Lakers or Portland. Uh, because because of Dame and because of I knew CJ, uh, I wanted to pick, you know, Portland. Because the you see, like, when you see Dame, they, you know, understand why the, the whole Portland is built around him. And when you have a leader like that, I mean, he he only cares about his teammates. He only cares about, you know, uh, going out there and winning and competing and stuff. And, like, he, we saw that in the last year playoffs, man. I mean, that dude, CJ and Dame, was like, it was, like, unstoppable. And you, I thought you were one of the big winners of that playoffs, too, because you were, like, legit hurt. Mm-hmm. And you, what was that one game? It was, what was it, four overtimes? Oh my god! So like, the, the reason I got hurt because of Steven Adams. So like, <laughs> yeah, me and Steven Adams were going against each other in the playoffs, and I separated my shoulder. And uh, after that, we played, we beat that series, and we went against you know uh, uh, Denver. And obviously, Jokic is not a easy guard to guard. guard. But uh, that four overtime game, man, I was like, I never seen anything like that before. I think it was one of the toughest uh, games I ever played. Played. Well, you Nurkic was out, right? Mm-hmm. And then, was out, yeah, it was basically you and Zach Collins, who was like twelve yeah. years old. He just got in the league, <laughs> and you got to handle Jokic, and you're playing with one arm. And uh, it was a pretty memorable game. I remember watching that. Anytime it gets past the second overtime, I just root for both teams to tie every overtime because I want to be like, I want to see oh, this man. first seven overtime game. I'm sure you're not feeling the same way, though, playing. No, the, no, like, man. Please, just, please get this end. Just going one shoulder against Jokic. And Jokic, I mean, I saw his pitching now. He lost a lot, a lot of weight. But back then, he was a heavy dude. Very yeah. heavy. And he plays like he plays dirty. I, I, don't, I don't know if you guys like uh, ever like see him like doing some dirty stuff, but he plays very dirty. So like, like what, like little him, little tiny elbows that people don't see? What just is like it? elbows and, you know, just like some weird, like weird stuff, whatever. Like elbows or pulls and I don't know, like some different stuff. But like going against him for overtime was tough. 
But it was just, it was just amazing, man. Like, I, I think he is like the most skilled big man in the whole league, you know? Well, yeah, I was going to ask you, who, who was the best big man just from trying to guard people? Who is the toughest one you've had this decade? Is it him? I don't want to. So is Anthony Davis counts as a big man. He's a five yes. man. If you yes, count him, then you, him. But if you say yeah. like a five, five man, like real five. Old school. I'm going to. I'm going like between like the Joel or Jokic, but I, you know what? I'll pick Jokic. The reason is like the passing. You know, you cannot, you cannot send him no double teams or just you just dead. You know, right? That's what makes him really special. Just the passing part. Yeah, he is that, and Joel just has the. You're praying that he's not in a hundred percent good shape. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's true. The year that he decides he's going to be in superhuman shape, it's going to be a problem. But he oh, hasn't yeah. he hasn't totally yeah. unlocked that yet. It's gonna happen at some point in the next three, four years. I mean he's working on it, man. He's he's a good dude. He's working on it. Who's who's your favorite guy in the league that you haven't played with that you just really respect and you're like, oh man, it would be fun to play with that dude. Play with or played against? A guy that you haven't played with yet. Oh, because you know you're this fun-loving guy. You, but you also are a competitive guy. So there's other, right, right, you know, right. there's this weird fun-loving competitive group. Is there anybody who's like, oh man, I would have loved to have played with that dude? I respect Giannis a lot. I respect James Harden a lot. Oh. And Kawhi, probably, probably like that. That three that definitely that I'm like, wow, you know, it'd be very different. You know, very special to play with these guys. I mean, obviously, you can't see enough about. Yeah, Giannis's game. Also, James Harden. I, I play actually. I play with James Harden in a in at New York and like some the some of the runs, the summer runs yep. that we had, and he was he was just unbelievable. The, yeah, like, he's like a video think, game. Like, it's like you know, people always talk about how he scores. He can like pass the ball like crazy. You know, yeah. his vision is unbelievable. Um, probably yeah, that three. We left Giannis out of the greatest athletes of the decade list. That was probably a exactly. You know what? Well, we forgot about him. Yep. Well, because he's an he's actually an alien, so sometimes you forget. Right? We were only talking <laughs> about human beings. What was your one big takeaway of uh, your Knicks experience? Your brief Knicks experience. <sighs> I'm trying to give you a good one. So good that might have been the takeaway: is that you, you five <laughs> seconds of silence. <laughs> um, I mean, look, look, listen, man, when. Before Fizzle gets there, um, b- before like the year b- before, you know, they move all the pieces. Like, I mean, when JP was healthy, I'll say we had an, um, we, we had a really good run, man. It was me, Tim Hardaway, um, Jared Jack and Porzingis and uh, Courtney Lee and stuff. So we, we had a pretty good run. Uh, we, I mean, after we lost, before we lost KP, we were like in a, almost in a playoff race. But then we lost KP. Then everything started to change, you know. And he w- and he was playing really well when he got hurt. I mean, he was well. like a oh my twenty-seven God. and ten every night, basically. Yeah. Every night. I mean, the the thing he does just. Um, I mean, that's why they call him unicorn. He can pretty much do everything, you know. Like right. you see, like a seven-three dude, just put the ball on the floor and dribbles like a point guard and shoots like a forward and plays like a big man. That was that's a weird combination, you know. <laughs> But uh, after we lost him, man, things just started to get bad and bad. You know, it was just, it was not the same. Yeah, it, it was, this happens sometimes with the NBA over the years where you have a young guy mm-hmm. who's really emerging as right. a star and a potential superstar and they get injured at the worst possible time. And it felt like that happened there. 
where it was like, that was literally the worst time he could have gotten hurt, right? As he was making the leap, you know? The next year that we had was just, was just bad. Right. Were you there? What were you there? A year and a half? Year and a half. So like oh the, my God. Half year of you probably the blocked year it was, out. <laughs> the year was good. The first year was good, but the, the, the half year, man, it was just tough. Um, they were sitting players. Uh, they were still sitting the starters. And it, it was just really bad. Um, I remember one time uh, Coach Fizz called me in his room. I, I got nervous. I'm like, man, you know, just it's like going to a principal's office, you know, just yeah. like, what is he going to say? Uh, I went to his room. He's like, look, this is what happens when you're a good player playing in a bad team. Uh, from now on, we're going to sit you down. I'm like, what? Because right. like, that hurts. Because that hurts. The reason hurts is like you work so hard whole summer to get ready for the season. And you give everything you have, right? And just because of things are not going the way they want it, they just sit in the good players and trying to, I don't know, and you know what, what they're trying to do. It, 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 it just hurts, you know? So and, then like, you have the, and then you have the fans going, this is the right thing to do. Exactly. I mean, we, need, like, we need to lose. I, I, I just don't know. Like, because like, listen, man, my job is to go out there and win every yeah. game and compete. That's what I'm getting paid for. If someone has told me to do opposite, I'm not going to do it. You know? I don't care who or who, who you are, but I'm not going to go out there and do anything as but playing. So like uh, for me, it was just, it was just weird, man. Uh, well, they got the perfect. So yeah, that sucks. Play. It's so funny. You're where you've actually played mm-hmm. where you have, you're in New York, which is the greatest basketball oh, yeah. city for everything, but you had the worst experience you could have had for what it could have been. You're in Boston, which is just a top five basketball city with the mm-hmm. best tradition, great front office organization. And then you, you, you're in OKC, Portland, and Utah, mm-hmm. which are all, we only have one professional team. Yeah, one major sport. And it's like, and they're all like crazy about the team because there's no other team. It's like 365 days. Mm-hmm. Um, out of those three, what was who was the single basketball craziest? Probably, I will just say OKC. Definitely OKC. Wow, over Portland. What a loss for Portland. Uh, you know, no, Portland was amazing too, man. Like Portland, trust me. Like, it, I was actually debating in my head which one is like, which one is like, the, you know, the craziest fans. I mean, they both have the craziest fans. But probably like, I will say definitely OKC is like something else. Because of like the, the because of like the, people don't notice, but like the first day, Whoever, if you're a if you're a coach, if you're or a, a player, Sam, uh, the GM is taking you to Oklahoma Memorial Museum because of the right. Oklahoma bombing. So he was saying every time you go out there, think about what's this city, what the state been through. So go out there and play for this, you know, yeah. play for those fans. So like whenever we out there, we're just like giving everything we had, and then. No matter what, we up 20, down 20, they always have each other's back. And it was one of the amazing experiences I had. Wow. So we talked a, a little bit earlier about your game in the 70s, 80s, and 90s versus where the league is now. How much do you think about that? Because, for, first of all, I should have mentioned this <laughs> earlier, but my dad, who has been going, he's been a season ticket holder since 1974. Uh-huh. He, one of his favorite things, 
are guys, low post guys who get offensive yep. rebounds. So he's always loved that. And the Celtics, you don't know this because you're not a, a lifelong Celtics fan. They haven't had a lot of those guys. Like we had Ed Pinkney mm-hmm. in the uh, early 90s and he was this, just a great offensive rebounder. So my dad, So when we got you, my dad was like, this is my guy. I love guys like this. <laughs> and yet there's certain games where the matchup is like, we, we can't play Canter. Like the, yeah, that like, team's like too Rockets. small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rockets, I think. But then there's other games where it's like, we should be playing him more. Like he actually could be destroying these guys. And Stevens has to figure out game. I think you're the hardest guy on the team for him to figure out when, when to kind of mm-hmm. unleash you versus when is the wrong game. Okay, do you feel that going in where you're like, fuck, we're playing the Rockets tonight. I'm probably not going to play that much. I mean, we, we, we already have this good conversation like with Coach Brett. I mean, uh, because like our goal is to just go out there and win, right? Win that yeah. game. So like going through the game, I know what my role is. I'm obviously I've been in the league for like almost almost ten years now. But uh going through the game, I know what I can do, what I cannot do. You know, obviously when you play with the Rockets, I mean, this it's just like a, a crazy matchup. You know, right. you cannot put me or you cannot put any of the bigs or on what? Who? Russ or James right. Harden or you know, they play a different kind of basketball. But like you said, man, the basketball era changed a lot. Now it's just, it's, you don't really see a back to basket players anymore. It's all about, you know, pick and pop, shooting threes and stuff. Like I said, again, when I, whenever I watch a clip of like the eighties and nineties, I'm like, man, like, like you said, I play in a long, wrong era. You know, I wish I played in the, uh, back in the day with those guys. But, um, I mean, you're just going to know your role. You know, it's just like when uh, a game comes that like Lakers, it's all about the big man's, you know, you got like, David, it's good for you. you got Dwight, yeah. yeah, you got Joel Mickey. So, like, I know that game is my game. But when you go against, like, a Rockets, you're like, okay, you know, they're going to keep, like, trying to play ISO games and shoot threes and stuff. I know uh, that night is not my night. So, like, it, I, I respect Brad a lot, man. I know his, his bas- basketball, like, he's very high. So, what, what, that's his team. Whatever he wants, that, you know, we, we have to be okay with it. I think one of the reasons I like the Celtics team potentially to do some damage is because of the lineup flexibility and where they can go small, they can go medium, they can go big depending on the opponent. The Clippers, those games are really interesting because if they're playing Zubats, then that's Mm -hmm. you're in, you can go and you can actually score on him, get him into foul trouble, stuff like that. When they're playing Harrell, now they can do pick and roll with Harrell and Lou Williams or whoever, and they're just trying to constantly get you so that all of a sudden you're guarding Lou Williams or you're guarding Paul George. But on the other end, you could post up Harrell. So then if you're Stevens, you're like, all right, well, on the one end, Cantor, Cantor can post up. He's going to get boards. Like, this is a great matchup for us. And on the defensive end, they're just going to attack him every time. So it's like, what do I do? And I, it's fascinating to watch just as a fan because it's like a chess match. It, it is like a chess match. I mean, like I said again, man, we trust Coach Brad. I mean, I mean, I have yeah. like also we have Grant Williams and Daniel Tice. This dude yeah. can guard like three, four, fives. You know, like they can guard three, four, five. So like we have everything. We have a really deep uh, bench. You can you can literally throw in anybody like Grant if they going small Houston Rockets or or even Daniel Tice or if they going big, they can throw me or maybe yeah. even uh, Taco in a couple of years. But like. Uh, we have so many different, you know, uh, pieces that can go with anything. 
Did you expect that taco was going to be the most popular Celtic? <laughs> Whenever I watched him in a summer league, I was like, this dude is going to be a, not a superstar, mega star. Because like, like a rock star. Yeah. Because like this, his personality, man, is just so amazing, man. Like very humble, down to earth dude, loves to work, goes hard. Uh, he, people don't know about him, but he trash talks a lot. Really? Uh, as a, for a rookie, man, God, like whenever we play one-on-one and stuff, he trash talks. As you know, the uh, Bigs and the Celtics, he, he does trash talk a lot. But like, he's a good dude, man. Good dude to be, be around. Every team needs a guy like that. I got to say, he's way more coordinated exactly, yep. and kind of nimble than you would mm-hmm. expect. It's not, he's not just some big stiff that's running around putting his hands <laughs> up. He's actually like pretty coordinated. He is actually pretty athletic for a seven, six dude. Of, yeah. yeah. Uh, like how he runs. Yep. Because they've had other tall guys who come in, but they can, you know, they're like mummified. They can barely yep, like, yep. walk. Quick break to tell you about two new Ringer podcasts that you can subscribe to right now on any place that you listen to your podcasts, including Spotify, my favorite app for podcasts. One is called The Connect. It's a movie podcast with Jace Concepcion and Shay Serrano. You've heard them uh, on a bunch of Ringer podcasts and many times on the Rewatchables. This is a movie podcast with a unique twist. So you can subscribe to that now. It launches next week. And The Ringer Fantasy Football Show, Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz, Craig Horlbeck. Craig Horlbeck. Horlbeck, Craig Horlbeck, he's producing this podcast today. And why, why do I have a mental, mental block with uh, Craig's last name? Craig Horlbeck. Yeah, I did it. Well, the Ringer Fantasy Football Show, you can find it basically wherever you listen to your podcast. But uh, we're proceeding as if the football season is happening. Until they tell us it's not happening, we're going to think it's happening. And guess what? Part of that is fantasy football. So we're doing it. We have new podcast. Go listen to it for advice, for tips, fake drafts, you name it. It's all going to be there. Check both of those out. The Connect and The Ringer Fantasy Football Show, wherever you get your podcasts, hopefully Spotify. Back to this one with Ennis Cantor. You were pretty early this decade on the whole social justice thing. Mm-hmm. And this has been a big theme of... Uh, of everybody going back in the bubble and what this regular season playoffs is going to be. It's the dominant theme that we have in this country mm-hmm. and in the league right now. Have What has your experiences with this stuff told you for what's about to happen? Uh, well, um, about all the social justice issues, man, I know what is it like to fight for freedom and justice. And I mean, you know the situation between me and uh, Turkey. But uh, when my teammates and everybody was just, just uh, fighting for the one cows and it's justice. I was like, you know what? I want to be part of this because this is not about black and white. This is about everyone against racism. Right. So like that was one of the biggest reasons that I drove actually 20 hours to Chicago to Boston, just because I wanted to peacefully protest with my city. And yeah. the, the, the actually wore my jersey to that because I wanted to, I want people to know that Celtics and NBA got your back. And it just, this, this time of period showed us so much that we have so many great leaders like LeBron James, Jalen Brown, especially Jalen Brown, man. I can't say when he's done with his career, he's not going to be only known as a, just a basketball player. The yeah. work he does off the court is just unbelievable. Um, what is the situation with you in Turkey right now? 
I mean, we finally, I mean, my dad finally has his uh, freedom after seven years going in and out of jail and court, uh, Turkish courts. But like the pressure, like I'm telling to my teammates here too, like the pressure you put on a government, authoritarian government especially, is it, it, it works. Uh, we've, been, we've been fighting against, you know, the Turkish government for seven years now, but like the support I got from my teammates, from my coaches, NBA fans, NBA families, and, you know, all the like the media outlets and reporters gave me so much hope and strength to fight against a dictatorship in uh, t- Turkey. So, like for me, it was just, it was amazing, man, because like when your teammate like Russ or like Dame or CJ or KD or all the like, you know, like now like Ken by Jason or Jalen were like supporting you, it just automatically gives you so much strength to fight against the authoritarian regime. So like, I can't say, I can't thank enough about all my NBA family. I know it's a tough thing to talk about, but you know, you come to America to play in the NBA, mm-hmm. but you're from Turkey. That's your place. Right. You're representing them. Mm-hmm. You have a, obviously an incredible connection with the country. And then over the course of the decade, as you're here, the country is saying, this guy doesn't count us anymore. Mm-hmm. He's out. We're out on him. What was that like? I mean, how how much pain? How much pain was that for you personally as you're trying to balance being a basketball player? When I got drafted, before my name, they said from Turkey, right? And that made me like very proud and happy. And now, like my own country, literally calls me a terrorist. And whenever they say, I actually answer the bank. I say, the only thing I terrorize is the basketball game. And we just laugh with my teammates because they know what kind of per- person I am, what kind of personality I have. Uh, always, you know, just try to help others and stuff. But what hurts me the most is other Turkish players in the league. Mm. We have we have Arsan Yasova. We have Jedi Osman in Cleveland. We have uh, Furkan Korkmaz in Philly. Whenever we go against them, they don't say a word. I actually... Really? I actually try to talk to them. I'm like, hey, dude, like, what's up? How you doing? No answer. Because, like, when I, I try to actually, like, because, like, they might, like, be scared of, like, a, you know, Turkish government that if they see a pictures or video of us talking of something, then they might be in trouble, whatever. So, like, I actually cover my mouth with a jersey and just try to talk to them. They turn their face the other way, you know? That was a position. And these are guys, these are guys you've known your whole life, right? I know, especially Ersan, I played with him in the same team with OKC. I played with a national team. Jedi and Furkan play with my brother in national team. So I know him from a long time. I actually, like, whenever they get hurt, I message him on Instagram and say, hey, get well, brother. But no answer. But, like, that's the thing that hurts me the most because, like, they're just scared. They don't know any better. But whenever I sit down and have a conversation, uh, try to have a conversation with him in a game, um, no answer. That's probably the, that hurts me the most. That sucks. Do you yeah. do you fear for your own safety? Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I'm I mean, I'm in touch with FBI a lot here. Uh, I have always like a conversation with them and stuff. But uh, when I, I was actually when I was playing for Portland, um, yeah, my friends told me it's not safe to stay in a house because there were so many death threats. So they told me to stay in a uh, in a hotel. So when I was in a road game, actually, FBI came to my um, hotel room in Portland. They set up this thing called a uh, panic button. Uh, it was right next to my bed. They said, whenever you feel uncomfortable, whenever you, you know, just feel th- 
flatnet or something, just push that button, we'll be there in two, three minutes. Um, <clears throat> in America, no, because like there are rules and laws. I don't think I, they can do some kind of operations in America, but other countries for sure, yeah, because they actually put my name on Interpol, a red notice system. So like I basically count as an international criminal. Um, when so you you can't leave America then? I cannot leave America. So yeah. I'm, I'm actually becoming an American citizen next year in June. Oh, congrats. I, I know. I'm so excited about it. But uh, so when I become an American citizen, I can leave. Actually, this year in Christmas game, we have to go to the Toronto and Canada for a Christmas game. But we have to get in touch with the Justin Trudeau's office. We have to get in touch with the, some of the lawmakers there. And it just gave me so much. It made me very happy that they, they said just, hey, Tell him to not worry about it. He could come in the country, play his game peacefully, and leave. There was no problem. You know, um, when you're talking about your relationship with the other Turkish players, mm-hmm. we did, when I was at ESPN, I was one of the people who did 30 for 30. We did a documentary called Once Brothers, which was one mm-hmm. of my favorite ones that we did about Vlade Divac and Drazen Petrovic, okay, yeah. who were on the same team and grew up in Yugoslavia, and then Yugoslavia split. And they stopped speaking to each other. And then Drazen tragically died in a car accident. But Vlade, they were like super close. Yeah. And it got to the point, much like you described, where they're on a basketball court, not acknowledging each other. And it was the, whatever was going on in their home country yeah. had completely overpowered any sort of relationship yeah. they could have here. But then Drazen dies and Vlade had a lot, had a hard time dealing with it. And that was what we made the documentary about. But that it's such a unique circumstance and it's really only happened a couple times in the league i i respect them a lot man i mean obviously they in the end because in the end those players that three players i just count the representing turkey you know so like i actually whenever we play against them i actually pray for them i'm like you know i hope we win the game but i hope they play good because like in the end they're representing their family they're representing uh their country their flag their people so like i got a lot of respect for them man but like what they doing I don't blame him because I understand like they are scared, whatever. But yeah. uh, when when these things are all just settled down and when this regime changes, I am sure that they will change their mind. Have you noticed any disturbing similarities between America right now and Turkey? It's it's I feel like uh, it's very sad, but I feel like it's getting there because like. In America, you turn on the news, there's so much negative news out there. You know, people attacking each other. This side is attacking this side. This side is attacking the other side. But, like, we should have one goal. Like, people forgetting that. The goal should be, like, how can we make this country better together? It's not right. a fight against Republicans or Democrats. It's a fight, like, how can we make get through this together? Because we have... One enemy to be right now is the coronavirus, right? Yeah. But you turn on the you turn on the news. This side is attacking that side. This side this side is attacking the other side. I mean, sure, p- people can do wrong stuff or, or whatever. People, you're not gonna like anything that people do. But like, I feel like we need to just like forget about all that BS and just like focus on, you know, just how can we get through this to, uh, to, together? What about uh, Hey Dude Turkulu? Oh to man. Him? So the thing is, uh, that's a that's a big another story. So Hido Turkoglu, man, he was actually one of the biggest reasons that I stopped playing basketball. I would imagine he was like the first oh, he was, Turkish he hero. Was like a, 
it was like a Jordan. It was yeah. like a Turkish Jordan. And that's what actually they call him. But uh, I played with him in the same team in Turkish national team, 2011. I came in the league. He helped me so much. Then these things are starting. He picked the present side. Now he literally goes to every media outlet in Turkey and try to trash my name. Uh. And that, that just broke my heart because I mean, he was that he was one of my idols. He was one of my heroes and I still right. respect him as a basketball player. But then the president, Turkish president gave him a job. He made, he's now, he's now the, the head of Turkish the national team. Um, he, he just has so much benefits from the government side and it just, now he's like he count me as his enemy you know it just it just sad man because what he did on the court it was just unbelievable he represented his country he one year he was the most improved player uh the year he was against kobe bryant and the lakers was unbelievable him and dwight uh with orlando oh nine. Oh nine magic yeah oh nine, yeah so i respect him so much man but like now because of all that stuff now he's literally trying to go to every media and try to you know trash my name What's the case against you in Turkey? What do they What do they say? What What are they saying when they're trying to trash you? Here's the thing. So, like in America, you like things or you don't like things. You can talk about it. You like the president or you hate the president. You can. There is freedom of speech. You can say about it. You can talk about it. Right. You can criticize the government. You can criticize the president. In Turkey, that's not the case. Uh, in Turkey, if you criticize the government. If you criticize the president, you're a bad guy. I mean, you look at my all my uh, all my interviews. You look at my all my op-eds. Only thing I want in my country is freedom, democracy, and human rights. But just because I want those things, people say, "Oh, he's against his country." Turkey is the number one country in the, in the world that put most journalists in a jail, more than uh, China. And um, there are right now there are seventeen thousand innocent women are in jail right now just because of their pol- uh, political views, and there are so many reports out there. Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, Human Rights Foundation, these women are getting raped and tortured. So, like, of course, I'm going to talk, talk about these issues. And just because of this coronavirus, right? Turkish government d- decided to free all the serial killers, child rapists. You know, just human traffickers, mafia leaders, but they decided to keep all the political prisoners and journalists in a jail. I mean, come on now. If the virus spreads in a jail, there will be lots of death, which is already spread in the Turkish jails. Right. I mean, just because of I talk about these issues, obviously affected me and my family. And my dad was a genetic professor. He got fired from his job. My sister went to medical school for six years. She cannot find no job. My little brother, actually, he's in America now, was playing basketball. He literally got kicked out of every team. So my family had to put a statement out there and said, we are disowning Ennis. And Turkish government didn't believe that. They sent police to my house in Turkey and they raided the whole house. And they took every electronics away, phones, computers, laptops, because they wanted to see if I'm still in contact with my family or not. And if they were to see any text message or email or missed call, they will be all in jail. So last time I saw my family was 2015. And last time I talked to my family was, I, I can't even remember, it was a long time ago. Wow. Five years? Five years. Last time I was in Turkey was t- 2015. And you have no way to communicate them at all? They can't even do it? Like You must be able to do it through third parties, right? So like, it's a big risk. 
because yeah. they, they, they listen everything. I just yeah. don't want to take that risk. My fam, my dad is finally has this uh, freedom. I just don't want to, you know, just mess up everything. Right, right, right. My brother, my my other brother plays basketball in Spain, uh, Badalona. Um, I mean, he sent me pictures of my mom and dad sometimes. Uh, but but you can see like when you don't see him too long, you're like, man, my mom is getting old. My dad is gaining weight and stuff. So like the toughest part is like after the games, right? Uh, everybody goes to the court and take pictures with their family and talk to their mom and hug their dad and stuff. So I only have this one picture of my mom and just I just look at it and say, okay, let's keep going. Because like, this is the question I get a lot from my teammates. Are you crazy? Because like, they're like, listen, dude, like you're an NBA player. Just keep your mouth shut, make your millions and just live a happy life. Why are you talking about these issues? But people don't understand. My dad is only one. My family is only one family. And you guys know my story because I play in NBA. But there are thousands of stories out there. Their situation is way worse than mine just because of their political views, you know? So I'm like, you know what? I know it's a a lot on me and my family, but I have to do this for innocent people. Man. I mean... you think like some of some of the stars we have now are in a similar position that I think they've embraced where it's like, I have to say stuff now. I have to stand for things. This is, we are in a moment in time. I have to do something, which is, you know, how you've, how you felt with your own country for a long time. So. Yeah. It's important, man, because like whenever we talk about these issues, of course, it's going to take a lot on you too. Like, you're never going to get big contracts. You're never going to get big endorsement deals. I'm um, obviously, uh, like my, actually my, uh, my agency, you, you probably know Mark by abolishing one of the biggest yeah. agency in, in America. I'm like, told them like, how come I don't have a shoe deal? You know, they said, they actually said, we're literally talking to every company. Recently, we just talked to Nike. They said, they love you. They want to give you a contract, but they're scared. They, because they, they know that the, for one player, they don't want to go against the whole country. They don't want to lose the whole country because they know what Turkey will do to all the Nike stores in Turkey if Nike gives me a contract. So, like, right. whatever. Jesus. Well, at least you. At least life is back to normal right now with hoops, and you have some. You have eight exactly. regular season games and a couple playoff rounds, and the best thing you can do is make the finals, and everybody can know, see man. your face in finals games. <laughs> Basketball is my only escape, man. Because like whenever I'm out there on the court with my teammates, man, I forget about everything. I just go out there, have fun with them and stuff. And the other crazy part is, so whichever team I play for, they don't show those games in Turkey. Those they censor those games. Really? And like, yeah. Oh, it's, it was a last year. They actually made it publicly. It's actually on internet. You can look at it. They made it publicly, publicly and said like, even NS made the playoffs, we are not going to show any of his games. So yes, last year we made the. Uh, conference finals against Golden State, no game. They did not show one game. And people like started to get mad at me. I'm like, what did I do? I'm just going to play basketball. So, so this year, no Celtics game in, in Turkey. They have to go to some kind of like VPN calls to put some like weird calls to watch those games. Ah, that, I don't like that at all. Especially because yeah. I'm I'm hoping you guys are playing uh, many rounds. <laughs> well, look, it's been awesome that it's been awesome to have you on my favorite team. I've always enjoyed your game. And uh and it's been a really fun team to watch, and I look forward to seeing what everybody does uh, on and off the court over the next three, three, four months. But thanks for uh, thanks for all the time, and thanks for all the honesty too. I really appreciate it. Thank you, it. brother, man. I know I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, stay safe. 
All right, we're bringing in Johnny Bananas in one second. For all our sakes, we need to avoid crowds in any way we can right now. But if you need to go to the post office, what if you need postage to send out letters and packages? Don't worry. Stamps.com, our old friend, is here to help. With Stamps.com, you can print postage on demand. Skip those lines and crowds at the post office. Personally print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail for anywhere then. Just leave it for your mail carrier. Schedule a free package pickup or drop it in a mailbox. No human contact required. Whether a small business sending invoices and online seller shipping out products or just working from home and you need to mail stuff, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Stamps.com, you get great discounts too. Five cents off every first class stamp and up to 62% off shipping rates. And now Stamps.com also offers UPS services with discounts up to 62%. You won't even have to pay UPS residential surcharges. Right now, my listeners get a special offer. That includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. Without any long-term commitment, go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in BS. Stamps.com. Enter BS. Stay safe, my friends. All right. Without further ado, Johnny Bananas. All right. My next guest came on after he won his sixth title on the challenge. And we compared it to Michael Jordan, who had also won six titles. Only he had something up his sleeve. A seventh title, which happened this week on the challenge. They said it couldn't happen. They said he was cursed after he backstabbed Sarah. Not really. I defended you. I did not think it was a backstab. I thought it was I thought it was in, in the spirit of the game. Agreed. You finally did it. People said you were too old. People said you hung on too long. No. You won. I mean, I mean, Bill, uh, I was one of those people. Okay. I'm not saying that I had completely counted myself out. Uh, but you know, to sit here before you right now to say that I had, you know, the, the, the faith that it was going to happen for sure. Um, I didn't. And, um, you know, at, at first I wanted to just prove to everybody that curses don't in fact exist. I thought I was just a, victim of my own success, which is what I think I've actually told you on this here show before. Uh, but yeah, cause everyone's gunning for you. Everyone's got, and that's, and that was just kind of what I had to deal with. And that's what I had to adapt to. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, I, I figured, listen, I'll just keep throwing crap against the wall and it's going to stick one of these seasons. And it just wasn't. And in, instead of actually doing better every season, it was almost working in the opposite direction. And, um, after the last two seasons, world of worlds, one world of worlds, two, uh, early exits on both some of my earliest exits since since early on in the challenge. I mean, I actually started doubting whether it was going to happen and if in fact curses were real. And um, you know, it took this season. It took living in a bunker underground in the Czech Republic uh, for eight weeks and a uh, a mountain high up in the Austrian Alps to uh, to prove to me and everybody else that uh, you know curses are made to be broken. It was one of my least favorite seasons. About halfway through, I didn't like the bunker. I thought mm-hmm. it was dark, depressing. Guess what it I was. like when you when you guys are in a nice house with a pool and people. You and I, you and I both, my friend. And, you're, and there's bars and people in bikinis and people playing chicken, and yeah. it's like I don't really want to be in a bunker on the show. But then I thought the last few episodes, I thought it really kicked in, and yeah. uh, you know, Corey. I don't know if you know this, but Corey has some kids back home. I did I not know, know did that. Did he mention that? Did he mention that on the show? I'm not positive he did. It's the first I've heard of that. I had no idea that. Is that what Corey was playing for? Yeah, apparently he was keeping this low, but he was okay. playing for his kids back home. Wow, you would have never his, known. And, and his baby on the way. He he kept it low, but it's you, like an anonymous donor that you know <laughs> that, that donates all this money and you just never know about it. 
you you were just playing for you. You didn't have you didn't have the seven kids at home that you were playing for. I was playing for you too, Bill. All right. I, I appreciate that. Okay, because you know what? You know what meant more, you know what was more of a motivating factor for anything? Not the seventh title, not getting put back ahead as far as money earned, not my 20th season. It was coming back on your podcast because I know the only way I was going to get back on is if I won again. You know what I mean? That's not true because, uh, and I told you this by text, I've been watching a lot of challenge. Uh It's replaced real sports for me because there are no real sports. And I've just, I think I've banged out maybe 12 or 13 of the last 20 seasons because Amazon has this MTV hits package. It's like seven bucks a month. Uh You get all the old challenges. I watched them once. The challenge, one of those things you watch them, you never think about it again. It's not like people are writing about it years later. It's not like there's record books. So you just, you kind of vaguely remember stuff. It's incredible. I got to say, I I really enjoyed it. It's fun to have on in the background. It's not like ridiculousness that MTV plays every waking moment of every single day. I've always said, it's like, why not play instead of playing 87 episodes ridiculous in a day, maybe play 80 and then play seven episodes of the challenge, right. and, you know, give people what they want. But, um, uh, I thought Pluto TV was the only place to find it, but I guess that's not the case. Uh, that's what sucked me. That's what sucked me into it was the Pluto. Cause they have okay. the Pluto channel, but there's commercials. And eventually I was like, I'm done with that. I, I, how, how do I not get commercials? And that led me to the Amazon thing. But the reason I bring this up, they go all the way back to like, Oh, six. I got I got the DVDs, man. You could have asked. I could have sent you over the originals. Well, there's some early bananas in there, including the ruins, which is in Ooh. the argument for greatest season, where you have this. It's just a chin. It's like a chin thing and a soul patch, but no mustache. Oh, what was God, going on dude. that year? I don't know, man. I don't know. Listen, I am so glad. Not just with the mistakes that I made, as far as like the way I behaved. But the fashion faux pas that I made back in the day with the fedora hat and the bandana, um, that was back in the day when I thought it was cool to like go to the gym and just put as many heavy plates on bench as you possibly could and eat cheeseburgers after because all I cared about was what the scale said. Then I saw myself on TV and I looked like a hippopotamus. Um, (laughs) Listen, I'm glad I made all of my mistakes before the advent of social media and back when I was in my early 20s because uh, Lord knows I might not be sitting here today if that wasn't the case. But I will have to agree. I thought the ruins was an excellent season. Definitely a very highly underrated season. It was um, action packed, but you know that's when you weren't you weren't the the guy yet. No, you were no, one no. of the guys. There was a lot of guys who could win every year, and yeah. as as the years pass, around thirteen, fourteen, when you'd won a couple times, yeah, two thousand I mean, thirteen, fourteen. That's when people were like, "We got to get this guy out." And then you became the guy at the poker table that everybody's just going all in on trying to challenge you over and over again, try to get you the fuck out of the game. I became the Patriots, man. I became the team that gets everyone's best shot every week. And that's what most people don't factor in. And I think the the, rivals three, I think it was after rivals three, when I won my sixth title. Yeah. So I got the notoriety from getting my sixth win. But then the amount of notoriety that I got for taking the money from Sarah, I just think that that put me into a whole new dimension where people did not want to see me win, whether it was in the literal sense or, or in the figurative sense anymore. Sounds like the Pats. Exactly. And, I, and it's like they say, the higher on the ladder you get, the bigger the, the target on your ass gets. And I think that that just made me, you know, it, it was, I became public enemy number one every season. I mean, we did World of Worlds one. I didn't know 50% of the people in the house. 
day two, Wes already had them all convinced that I need to be gone. And, and, and that's kind of the way it went. And that's what I've been dealing with for the past few seasons, man. Um, and as much as I want to, you know, sit here and try to give credence to the fact that there may be this curse that existed again, I just think it was, uh, I was taking everyone's best shot every week and then putting my differences aside, putting that rivalry and all that bullshit aside with West this season, I think went a long way, uh, to kind of neutralizing other enemies that I may had had in the house. And it allowed me to kind of fall back into my old game and uh, be kind of uh, a little more cunning, a little more manipulative. And I was able to kind of sit back and strike when the time was right, not just lash out at everyone because they were lashing out at me. Yeah, but you still got thrown into some challenges. I did. Even on the final episode, you you had this random challenge that came out of nowhere. nowhere. And if they pick the six foot five dude, Fessy, you're done because he would have just been able to touch that bell yeah. without even thinking. Yeah. And he and Rogan did the volunteer thing, which I I always think is lame. It's like, ah, I'm gonna, I'll volunteer. When you kind of know you're going in, you pretend yeah. you're being like magnanimous. It's like, you're yeah. going in, dude. Yeah, it's happening, whether you want to or not. Yeah, I'm glad. But you listen, lucked out with that, though. I'm glad things, listen, I say this about every season, okay? It's better to be lucky than good. And I could go into a season with the absolute best strategy possible, the strongest alliance on planet Earth, but without a few elements of luck, um, and it happens every season, it, things don't turn out the way they did. This season, for example, I mean, by Wes nominating himself to go in against me, I mean, that completely changed the whole dynamic of, of my game, which I would never have factored in. Um, the final challenge where we were in the, in the race car and we had to knock the pins down like bowling pins, how by the grace of God, more of mine fell down than everybody else's. And then in the final, not just that elimination, but the math equation. Bill, I am terrible. At, I am yeah. a god-awful person at math. We had to do, it was a nine-stage math equation that uh, you got you got a different part of the equation like every 10 feet that you went. And I had to solve this in a blizzard with my ski pole in the snow, okay? I wouldn't be able to do this math problem right in front of me right now in my bedroom with a piece of paper and a pen. And the fact that I was able to do that math equation under the amount of pressure that I was, and that ended up being the, the deciding factor in that final. Had I not solved it faster than Corey and, and, and Kyle, might might have been a different outcome, and that's what keeps me up at night, man. Is that is that math equation and me somehow figuring out the 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 the, uh, the equation to it? But um, I don't know, man. I think that there was a lot of things that happened this season that are unexplainable, um, and I really do think that um, it, this was my it was it was meant to be, man. You know, they say those fairy tale seasons. I think this was like my fairy tale. Well, the challenge is like the NFL, where you just want to be in position to win, but you still need luck and you need a couple of good things to happen. Absolutely. Right. I was watching, this is pathetic that I'm just name dropping past challenge seasons, but battle of the seasons, okay. which was a great season. You weren't on that one. Wasn't there. Yeah. But San Diego was in that, the, uh, the one where they have everybody's in the tight glass case and you have mm -hmm. to try to basically run through each other and touch the bell. Yep. And Zach, Zach's about to lose. That yeah. dude, CJ, figured out go low every time. Yep, yep. Low man wins. Zach smartly realizes, I'll just hurdle him. And he hurdles him like uh, Edwin Moses. Yep. Hurdles him over, hits the bell. So then the next time CJ has to come up, he blows him away. But then those guys end up winning the challenge. And it all is because that hurdle worked. And it's like football where it's like, all right, there's, there's that one third and 14, that one, you know, that one punt return you get. And that flips it. Very rarely... 
does the dominant, like Jenny was dominant. You knew Jenny was going to win the whole season. Yep. There was no question she was winning. But with the men, like any of the four, I think could have won. Yeah, no. I, and, and that's the thing is, I think a lot of people don't give enough credit to the finalists that were there because there's not a tried and true old school vet fan favorite, like a Jordan or like a CT or like, you know, a, a West that was there. The guys that were there, I mean, Corey's made uh, three finals, I think, in the seasons that he's he's been in there. He's no slouch. He came into this season in better shape than he's ever been. Corey's uh, like the Houston Texans, though. <laughs> he, he's in, in the way? playoffs, but it's like, you know, he's not, you know, it's not, there's no going to be no Super Bowl for Corey. Buddy, he had, I, I forgot what it was, but there was something motivating him this season to perform as well as he did. He mentioned he, it a few times. I he, forgot, forgot what it was. Do you think maybe he had kids like he was playing for? I don't. That might've been it. That might've been it. I'm not sure, but I remember him saying that there was something that he was playing for. I can't put my finger <laughs> on exactly what it was. So I think he had extra motivation this season. Kyle, as much shit as, as people want to talk on Kyle for not being all that intelligent um, yeah. and kind of, you know, snaking his way through challenges, the guy has no quit in him. I've seen Kyle do things and, and come out of nowhere, whether it's carrying crates on his back. He ran up. <laughs> this is a funny story. I don't even know if this is going to make the show. Kyle's diabetic. All right. First yeah. season he did was Vendetta's. We had to run up the Rock of Gibraltar. He didn't, he thought that if he told production that he was diabetic and told him about his syringes, that they wouldn't, they, they'd kick him off the show. He ran wow. up the rock of Gibraltar with a syringe. It was capped up his ass. He keistered a syringe and ran up the entire rock of Gibraltar and beat half the guys. Wow. Stood up in a, in, in the bunk, in the uh, cave, in the rock of Gibraltar for eight hours and ran up the hill the rest of the way. I mean, this guy has, has a motor in him that most people don't give him credit for. Um, and then there's Fessy, man. I mean, Fessy, incredibly strong guy, dude. I mean, for his size, to have the amount of of stamina, uh, the guy's a you know a collegiate football player. I mean, he was for his size. The guy has an incredible motor on him too. So, and then Rogan just won last season. So, I mean, there were there were no slashes. I thought there, Fessy. So I watched this the last two seasons. I watched with my daughter, who was really into it. She says hi, by the way. Uh, we both thought Fessy was a prohibitive favorite. Yeah. But then how it turns out where you have the final challenge and it it basically played to none of his strengths. None. It was like endurance. He doesn't get to use strength at all. He doesn't get, you know, the the elimination challenges. So many of those are going to go his way. Anything where he gets to bulldoze somebody. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, he's like a bigger CT. Yeah. Like all yeah. the stuff you'd be afraid of with CT in the eliminations. He's even bigger and stronger and more 100%. crazy. No, he's got, that guy's got a very high ceiling, which is the reason why everyone's like, oh man, why didn't you throw Fessy in the hall brawl when you won in the end? I'm like, because the guy was coming back 100%. And this is right. not someone that I need in future seasons coming after me if I'm going to go back on my word. Um, but, you know, that's funny. My, my daughter asked me that and I was like, bananas is too smart. He knows that guy's winning. He doesn't want that guy mad at him. He's doing the know. Bill Russell. It's like when Bill Russell was always friends with Will Chamberlain, he would take him out to dinner. Dude. He always wanted Will Chamberlain to yes. like him, so Will Chamberlain was never mad. You have to look. For, listen, man, the, the, the biggest mistake a lot of people make on the challenge is they don't consider what you do now will affect your game in the future one way or another. Um, sometimes it doesn't really matter, but with, with the guy like him who I knew after his rookie season had performed as well as he did, I watched him do everything that a guy his size shouldn't be able to do. I knew that by sending him in, if I did, would it be a great TV moment? Absolutely. He would have absolutely murdered Rogan in that hallway. But I'm like, this is a guy who's going to be back in future seasons. And if I get in good with him, if, if, if I do something for him now, he's going to owe me in the future. 
Um, well, if PTI had a show the day after this, if they did, if they led with the challenge today, they would have done the whole first segment would have been about you. Yeah. And then the segment, first, second segment would have been Wilbon saying to Kornheiser, I mean, Fessy, what happened to this guy? Yeah. This guy yeah. was a beast. He he completely choked on the mountain. Does Fessy have it? Like, what happened to that dude? Altitude, man. And this is something yeah. that a lot of people, Fessy's never been, Fessy, he said the highest he's been is like Florida, which is sea level. So it's like, Fessy, you haven't been. People, I, I've spent a lot of time throughout my life in the mountains. All right. I grew up skiing, snowboarding. I dated a professional snowboarder. So I spent a lot of time in Tahoe and, you know, that whole circuit. If you've never been at altitude, if you've never felt what it feels like to, to climb a mountain, walk up a flight of stairs, go to the bathroom at 10,000 feet, it's, it's, it's like your body's not functioning properly. You're like, why can't I catch my breath? Right. And if you've been there, if you've done that before, you kind of almost know how to like deal with it and not panic. Um, but a guy his size, it's the same reason that CT, one of the reasons that he died in a battle of the X's too, him and Diem on that glacier in Iceland, same thing. Um, you could be, you could be the longest distance runner on, uh, you know, at sea level. But as soon as you get up to altitude, I think that was the great equalizer of this challenge. Like, like the bunker, this is what I've been saying is our biggest competition, as much as you, you obviously hated the bunker, the bunker was our biggest competition this season. Okay. It was everyone in that house against the bunker. Cause that was, it was the biggest nightmare. competition for entertainment. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's tough. Listen, cause you guys really are all miserable. It's like, how is this fun? Everyone it's in the bunker hates exactly, being in the bunker. Man. It's, it's like, it's like, how are we going to be entertaining when we all are clinically depressed? Like that's just and there's not- a big and there's a big siren going off every morning. Oh. That sounds like, uh, yeah, like some catastrophes happening. It gets way a lot. They didn't show most of it. I mean, we are we are breathing in artificial air pumped in through some oxygen system from like the Cold War era. All the light that we had was artificial. You had to walk f- five minutes to go to the porta pot if you need to use it because all the plumbing inside the 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 bunker took a took a crap. Um, when we go on the bus, the whole thing was like, let's, let's prevent them from getting vitamin D. We'd be on the bus going to the challenge. All the windows were blacked out on the bus. Um, the bars we went to were all underground at night. So it was like, we were like vampires, dude. We'd come out every once in a while, like in the daylight and it would like, you almost felt like your your skin was going to burn off. Um, so while the bunker was obviously the challenge, you know, the biggest challenge of the season the mountain and the altitude I think was the great equalizer and the hardest part of the final. I mean, it wasn't the longest final. There's been way longer ones. I think this one beginning to end was 12 miles, but 12 miles in knee deep snow at 10,000 feet is, is no joke. Do you think the seventh title will finally make people forget that you thought the Australian house language was Dutch? No. Or do you think that's still going to be on your, on your, on your gravestone? No, I'll never live that one down. I'll never, it's what's funny is, uh, one of my closest friends on the challenge, her name's Sky. She's from Australia. Uh, and she was there when I gave that answer and, um, she has never let me live it down, man. Yeah. That's, that's definitely one of my low lights that and the, uh, the backpack in uh, cutthroat, which I'm probably, you were probably going to bring up at some point. So I want to get it out there ahead of time. Yeah. But that's a punch. CT is the greatest elimination guy of all time. And he yeah. was at the peak of his powers. To, to me, that's like you were on an island against Randy Moss in 2007. You're getting torched. Like, yeah, absolutely. There's no way around it. And that's then what I'm saying. it's like, everyone's like, it's like, it would be like Floyd Mayweather getting in the ring against Mike Tyson. It's like, what, what, what do you think the outcome is going to be? Well, then you had fat Tyler after you, who was like <laughs> carrying 20 pounds extra. He was, 
CT yeah. had to drag him to the belt too, but oh. Tyler, all Tyler was doing was eating for two weeks before that thing. He ran out of his meds. All right. So that's yeah. all he was doing. He said he was eating his emotions. You know what? And that's another <laughs> one. When you talk about, uh, like I said before, the luck of the draw, it, that was a flip of a coin. Who went against CT first was determined by the flip of a coin. So had the yeah. coin flipped the other way, he would have had to deal with, you know, lunchbox first and then me after. And the, the whole outcome might, might've been different, but I'm, well, I'm a firm believer and everything happens for a reason, man. And there's nothing in the past that, that, you know, I would necessarily want to change. Cause I mean, here we are today. Well, listen, even though the Australian Dutch thing was bad, it still doesn't, doesn't match Brad spelling throne T H R O N and not putting the E at the end. It's still the number one. No. Oh my God. Challenge trivia spelling moment. And TJ gave him both options. Cause Brad said, thrown like a baseball or thrown like a king sits on. And TJ's like, I'll take either one. Both <laughs> uh, can we talk conspiracy theories? I love conspiracy theories. So there's a conspiracy theory that you and Wes hatched this whole thing. You're going to be friends, but Wes couldn't stay the whole show and he was going to go in the challenge and get out. Not true. No, no. there's there, there, listen, there's a, there's a few conspiracy theories going on. One of those, that's just Wes trying to somehow uh, come to terms with the fact and make an excuse for what is arguably the most boneheaded decision in the history of challenges and especially in alliances. Okay. Wes and I had that house. We had a stranglehold on that house and he was actually sitting prettier than I was. He, more people owed him favors and he was in a better position actually in the house than I was. The numbers that he had that, that it was basically like, he was like a dam holding back this flood against me. And I was holding a flood against, against him, but his was a lot bigger. Um, had he not sent himself into the elimination against me, he had two, three eliminations after that, that he would have had first crack at and would have been able to go in. And it would have been against Corey or Fessy in a run across a barrel competition uh, or untie a knot in a car against Josh competition. He would have won either one of those. Wes knew when I nominated myself to go in, which I did, I purposely threw that elimination. I told TJ that his mom was had the most uh, World Cups. Uh, when I threw that elimination, Wes knew before. I had told him before. I'm like, this is my plan. I'm, I don't want to be here anymore. I want if I'm going to be here, I need a reason to be here. I'm checked out, and I want to have a purpose. I need a red skull. So therefore, I am throwing today's challenge, and I'm nominating myself to go in. Yeah. He then ended up winning that day, and I think it then became apparent to him like wait a minute. So bananas is going to go in and potentially come back with a red skull. And I think the the idea of me being in the house with a red skull and him not having one, it's almost like the kid being jealous of, of the other kid that has a toy that he wants to play with. So mm. I think he just made a very ill-advised move. I think pride and ego got in the way. I think he was worried about what fans were going to think if he didn't nominate himself to go in against me. And I'm like, Wes, any other season? Yeah. Baller move, dude. Do what Jordan did. Send yourself in against me in a punch a hole and climb a drywall wall. But this ain't it, man. And he that's a, a good that's move. a good elimination for you. The punch the wall and climb up thing. It is. I destroyed a lot of drywall as a kid. So yeah, that's I'm one of your better ones. I don't know how you don't break a hand with those, but those are pretty good ones. You know, watching you and Wes team up, it re- almost reminded me of WWE, like wrestling, where the guys who have feuded in the past they just start getting along. And it's like, well, this is weird. You guys have had 70 steel cage matches against each other. Now you're friends. I couldn't, I couldn't totally figure out how to digest it. So 
this all stemmed from this wasn't done out of desire. Okay, this was done out of necessity. Uh, yeah, because you because ba- it's so many newcomers. Exactly. Basically, all the old all the OGs, you kind of have to stick together at some point. And we and and that's the thing is if if Wes and I have gotten to the point where I think we're both obviously we're in the twi- our twilight years on the challenge. Yeah, and we've both done so much and we've contributed so much to this franchise over the years that it would be nice to kind of ride off into the sunset whenever that that takes place given as many best shots as we can and kind of going out and and kind of you know enjoying the fruits of our labor instead what we were doing is we were going in and we were refusing to let old our old vendettas die and by us going at each other every season, day one, all we were doing was making everyone else's lives easier. All these new kids that were coming in, the other vets, they all knew as long as Wes and Bananas are here, they are 100% going to be at each other's throats. And we could just sit back and let the bullets whiz by until one or both of them is eliminated. And that's what's happened the past two seasons. World of the Worlds 1, World of the Worlds 2. We basically paved the way for people who didn't, some people who did not deserve to be in that position were in that position. And after World of the Worlds 2, we were in a SUV together going to the MTV Movie Awards, and we both looked at each other and we're like, what are we doing? For two right. guys that consider ourselves to be the, the brightest and most strategic players, we're, we're, this is just dumb, doing the season after season. So let's try and do the opposite. This is out of necessity. This has to be done, because if it doesn't, we're just screwing ourselves. And it worked better than I ever thought that it, that it could or would. I'll never root for Wes, so it didn't totally work for me. Yeah, me neither. His own parents don't root for him, dude. So come on, Wes. Does Wes still have 30 car 30 companies and 40 cars? Oh, did he say oh, that year? Oh, he's got more. He's got more now. I think 40 he's up companies? to 70. I think he's up to 70 companies. All right. Um he's, you know, all a swag, you know, Swaggy C's business. I think Wes is also taking full credit for everything that Swaggy's doing as well. And he's got all of his cars, but somehow he still has managed to find time to film this midlife crisis of a show he's doing now in <laughs> right. quarantined in Kansas with the rest of his friends. It's like, God, where does this guy find the time? It's, it's incredible. I had to run all those companies, do all that stuff. It's amazing. Um, when can we get rid of all the English people from the challenge and just go get back to the, to our you roots? Like, you don't like the Brits, huh? No, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Do we got a couple years out of them, but, but yeah. when, you know, in the, in the heyday, the initial heyday of the challenge, you know, late two thousands heading into the 2010s, the real world was still the feeder system. That was our, that was our, bullpen. it was, yeah. it was the triple a baseball team. Just send it up. Can't miss prospects. Yep. People who had been on TV for four or five months. Like you think like that real world Portland season and Jordan and hurricane Naya, and they're just coming out of the triple a, like yeah. five star, five fire. players ready to, ready to go. And now it's like, they're doing. She's the one. He's what's that? Are She's the, the one. one. Are, you the, are one? you the one? I don't Big even brother, know what the names. Love shows Island. Are. Can we just go back to Get where wrecked. we were? Is it over? Like we're never going to be able to find 28, 28 people. We have to. We have to outsource to other countries. So yeah, I mean that's listen. Until the real world comes back, man. Until they can find a way to bring the real world back, and kind of recapture some of like the, that magic that the real world used to to provide with characters and dynamic characters. Here's the biggest problem. And here's my biggest issue. And I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but the casting now, there's a reason why the vets, the OGs were cut from a different cloth, man. The CTs, the Brads, the Marks, the Derricks, the Kennys, the Evans, the Durrells, 
the corals, the tinas, the bets. I could go on. The, the, it's like these Anissa. were it, the Anisas. These characters were multidimensional. They were gritty. They were all unique. They all had a couple, couple skeletons in the closet. Definitely lots of skeletons in the closet. I mean, most of them were just completely mentally, you know, off the reservation. But back then, dude, my season of the real world Key West back in the day when, when they were still casting, I was one of 200,000 applicants. So you can wow. imagine the amount of, of, you know, the steps and layers that these people had to go to and only like the most dynamic, charismatic, just multidimensional characters made it to the top. Yeah. Now it's almost like, okay, you're hot and you like to get drunk and hook up. Good. You're cast. We don't care if there's, if you have any sort of, 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 of personality, we don't care if you have any other, other dimensions to you. It's like, if you want to go on and be a complete train wreck, uh, then then you're cast, you know, and that's the problem is, and, and, and you're seeing that with, I think the quality, it's very rare that you're getting those really you're outstanding actual characters. Yeah. And but that's the, the thing, thing about the UK but, kids though, is I feel like a lot of the UK kids, they have established characters, whether you like them or not, there is no one on earth like bear. Okay. There is nobody on it's earth. True. Like, like, you know, like a Melissa or, or even a Jenny, like you see these people and you're just like Rogan. I mean, you're like, these people actually exist, Georgia. Like, I mean, they're a whole nother breed, man. Like them, love them or hate them, they are their characters, dude. You know what I mean? But it seems like the answer is to do another fresh meat season. Yeah. And yeah. really try to look. Cause you think like how many, how many challenge stars came out of those two fresh meat seasons? Is that guess at least where 10. fresh meat? Guess where fresh meat characters came from, though? Those were the people who didn't make it to the real world. Those are the people who oh, were is that true? one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, everyone that made fresh meat, Laurel, Car Maria, uh, Kenny, Evan, all of them were right. They, they made it to like the final round of, uh, of casting for the real world and they didn't. So they basically were, were, were taking that pool. They'd already kind of like been vetted. And so that's where you got fresh meat from. So it would, they'd have to kind of go back to the old school way of, of casting. And like, and, and beyond that, I just think, man, I just feel like this new generation and listen to me, I sound like such an old, old fart saying this, but I feel like this new generation of, of, of kids, the youth nowadays is just, there's just not a whole lot there, man. There's just not a whole lot there. You, so you're saying there, there might not be a next generation of the Camillinator and Nani? Might not, just might not have that? Listen, I, I have to deal with them on a daily basis. But from you being the, the loyal viewer that you are, I mean, what, what characters do you see right now? What personalities do you see that you're like, this person has a very high ceiling? Not just when it comes to their athletic. In order yeah. to be a very well-rounded challenge competitor, which there's very few, it's like you have to, you have to be intelligent and have humor. You have to be able to win. And you have to be able to like, like strategize. And there are certain people that have one of these characteristics, but not the other. And it's very difficult to find that competitor that kind of, co you know, covers all the bases. Well, you also had a lot of one of a kind people too, going yeah. backwards. Like CT is a one of one. It's not, it's not like sure. another CT is coming. God broke the mold after he made that guy. Absolutely. <laughs> Camilla and Nani, we're, we're never seeing them again. Well, Nani's there was back. A, not no, but back. I'm just saying, like the next version of them is, oh, yeah, is yeah, not yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah, one yeah, of yeah. ones. Yeah, yeah. There was, a, I think it was the free agent season. It was on. I always have it on in the background, but I'm not totally watching it. And Camilla was mad at somebody, and Nani tried to break it up, and she then they get mad at each out. other. 
and they have like an hour long, everybody's holding them back and it's yep. just going and going. It's like Ali Frazier three in Manila. Yeah. And it's just going to go. And then the next day they're just like, Hey, sorry about that. Yeah. What a breakfast. Yeah. They, there's never been two people like that ever. No, man. That's a whole, that's a whole lot of, you know, spicy Latina right there, dude. You, of that's course. A, that, and that of course a you have combination. a, you have a mild history with both of them. So we, we should mention mild. that as well. Yeah. Mild. Mild. A, dabble. a dabbling. Did a little dabbling. Yeah. Yeah. I was always team Nani in those. Me too. Cause listen, here's the difference. Nani is, Nani goes crazy cause she's emotional. Yeah. Camilla would go crazy because she's unstable. Right. She would like actually almost like, like the lights Dude. would just go off. She wouldn't even know what was happening. Flip a switch and she yeah. went into a different dimension. You know what I mean? Like Nani would get emotional. She'd cry. She'd be a little drunk. She'd be crazy, but not like, I mean, Camilla, when she would, when she would go off and she'd have one of her things, I mean, it was like the gates of hell were opening up, dude. Like it, it was, it was, it was brutal. She made the unforgivable sin, which is why she she can't yeah. come back. She was yeah. mean to she was mean to Leroy, the my golden favorite, child. my favorite other than you. You don't do that, man. You you don't. I mean, for for any reason. Do you not be mean in for anything with Leroy? Yeah. Leroy's the best. He is, dude. He really is. He's a. Gem. Has he had a, Has he had even one mean moment on the show? Not that I can remember. He's just too, listen, the thing about Leroy is he's such a good soul, man. He's, he's just such a loyal. When, when you talk about someone, you know, I think the, 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 the phrase real gets thrown around way too casually. Yeah. Leroy is one of the realest dudes that you will ever meet. You hear a lot of people who come on the show and it's like, they want to talk about their, their background and their history. And this is why I'm the way that I am. If there was anyone, you knew Leroy's history. If there was ever anyone to be able to kind of have a, a free pass for, you know, being a little for wiling out sometimes it would be him, but he is literally the most down to earth, well-adjusted. I mean, awesome guy. I mean, he, I call him on a regular basis because me and him have two different ways of kind of like dealing with people and dealing with the world. And he's just got this way of just seeing things in such just a, 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 a simple and just clear way that sometimes I get bogged down with like, overthinking things and getting way too much into my head. Um, and he's, he's, he's a gem dude. And, and well, and he's, and he's never won the, the show. Yeah, yeah. And he's never won the challenge and he's he had bad luck. Well, the one year he could have won was the year when he was with Naya. Yep. And they made the, I think they even made the finals and then they the hurricane, hurricane Naya finally was unleashed and she got kicked off the show and they were, they were the best team. Yeah. They would have won. I think. That was the same. That was the season when uh, Sarah uh, Sarah threw me in she against Leroy. Yeah. Backed them. That that's what that's what started the whole. You know, I stole the money from that. That's what a lot of people forget that that's everyone remembers me me stealing the money from Sarah, but nobody ever remembers why I did it and why we were rivals in the first place. I'll, I'll tell you, remembers me. <laughs> cause, she, cause you guys were really close and she completely stabbed you in the back, but then yeah, dude. that opened the door for Leroy and Naya to be the favorites. Yeah. Naya self-destructs and then Jordan and Sarah end up winning. I did not think they were the best team that year, but it no. goes back to with the challenge. You know, the other one, going back to some of the older ones, they, and there, this is, goes back to where are the people like this now on the current challenge? Like somebody like Derek. What does he weigh? Like one fifty, one sixty, one sixty-five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a middleweight, and he's in like these pull the rope tug of war challenges with dudes who are like two thirty-five, and it takes them 
you know, 20 minutes to finally put him away. That dude was unlike anybody. Derek, pound for pound. And I will say this. I mean, a lot of people like CT is the most dominant guy. Pound for pound yeah. in, a, in a physical elimination and physical competition, Derek, pound for pound, is the best, I think, most scrappy, most tenacious player I've ever seen. He's what the I, one you would have to actually kill to beat him. If, you would if have it came to, down to it. They would have to give you a, 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 a baseball bat to beat this guy down. He'd still, dude, the elimination with Joss that he came in as a mercenary, nonetheless. Yeah. Derek had no skin in the game. All right. He was leaving one way or another. It's not like he was fighting right. for his way into the game. He was getting paid and he was going against a guy who, who like, was trying to stay in the game. For two hours, Derek got his ass beat. Stepped on, kicked, punched. I mean, Joss is a big dude, and he just did not give up. He just did not give up. The same if uh, going back to a cutthroat after I was after I was eliminated. One of the best eliminations ever. Um, it was called uh, Riot Gear or something like that, or Riot. Yeah. And all the guys had Riot shields. And Derek was on my team, but I was already gone. So it was basically him, and I think he was by himself. He took on Tyler, Brad, and Dunbar. All right with the riot shield three against one. And he almost, and he almost walked out of that guys. I mean, again, like I said before, they don't make them. They just do not make them like that anymore, man. You know, he was cut from a different cloth as well. And then Darrell is always yeah. in the finals, except for ends up beating the crap out of a drunk Brad. You were in the yep. room for that one. Yep. Um, that was also in the ruins. Yep. But then the other one against uh crazy Tony where he throws Tony off, but then somehow his foot hit the water before. Yeah. I think those were the only two times he lost, and both of them were complete flukes. He lost to uh, CT in the tie a knot on the cage contest in Invasion too. Um, I don't know if you oh, remember that. early, early, early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they don't have that one. No, no. This was no. This was recent. This was Invasion. This was like I don't know. This was the season after I think my rival season with Sarah. I think this is right oh, after I don't remember that one. I might have to might have to step in with that one again. Invasion of the Champions. When all yeah. the new kids were there, then we came Oh, yeah, you're Thailand. right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, that one against Darrell in Balls In. Remember, we, we actually talked about it on, uh, on the, the podcast that one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, they that was essentially the same. The elimination that CT beat Darrell in, which was that. They had to basically make a knot on the cage and the other guy tie it. CT just basically made a huge beehive on the side of this net. They had to use like a chainsaw to cut this thing off. Right. Uh, but that was, he made the uh, ill-advised mistake of trying to replicate that this season against Jay early on when it was a totally different strategy. He fell apart. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Darrell was a great one. I, yeah. I would say if there was a challenge hall of fame, I think he's in it. Absolutely, dude. Yeah. No, Darrell's, I mean, I think again, CT, CT's like the shack where hall of famer won some titles but you feel like there could have been more. Absolutely. He was his own worst enemy in some ways. He really he could was, have been an eight title guy, but it just, you know, he had some baggage. His biggest, dude, and he'll, he'll say this too. His biggest mistake, one of his biggest mistakes was on Gauntlet 3. He sent me in to elimination, which I eventually got sent home and kept Big Easy, who weighed mm. 160 pounds. And Big Easy ended up dying in the final and costing right. him what would have potentially been his first final win. Yeah, that was traumatic. Who um, who do you think's the best female of all time? Of all time, I mean, I'd have to say there's like probably I'd have to say top three. Uh, I'd have to say Laurel, uh, Emily Schramm, um, uh, Would you put Jenny in there? I mean, I'd say Jenny is again has a very high ceiling. 
but it's going to be very interesting to see. We've seen Laurel when she comes in and has to deal with the entire house against her. Jenny, I told her this actually on our, I did a live with her last night after the, after the finale. I was yeah. like, Jenny, you're now going to experience like the bananas treatment when you show yeah. up to the challenge and every girl in the house is going to be against you. And she's a very like, really like sweet, like nice girl. Like she doesn't have that like killer instinct in her like Laurel does. Like that, that intense, in, intimidating, terrifying, uh, you know, nature about her. So it's going to be interesting to see how she does when everyone stacks up against her, which is surely going to happen. I have Emily. I have Emily in that conversation too. I think pound for pound, I think she was the best. But I think Laura had, uh, La- Laurel had a mean edge to her that I don't know if Emily has. No, 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 no. Nobody has. Nobody Laura is, has, has a mean spirited edge. Yeah, she's one of those that came ones out a few times. You you want her peeing out of your tent, not into it for sure. But I mean, Emily won a title with Paula. Yeah, which is your old Key West roommate. Yeah, yeah I think I that there. got her off the Schneid, right? Yeah, I was. I, I, I think that's that was what that win is what then propelled Paula to being like, all right, I'm done with reality television. It's time for me to start, you know, popping out some kids. So she's doing well too. You know, Jacoby and I once upon a time came up with the idea for Rivals. They stole it from us unabashedly because we talked about it on a podcast, and then six months later they're doing it. I have another. Did they have? Did they figure out the next challenge season yet? Is it in motion? Yes. Yeah. I, I'm not exactly sure what it is. Uh, but yeah, the next the next season's in motion already. But do they have the gimmick yet or no? I don't know. I mean, we don't we don't know that until we we have our guesses. Like we try and come up with what we think it could be. But I mean, nobody really knows right now. It's still kind of up in the air. I gotta say, the battle of the seasons gimmick is great, yeah. and I think they should bring that back for a second one. But do it. It doesn't necessarily have to be seasons. I think it should be four-person teams that they figure out the four people have some sort of connection to each other. Yep. But just all of that, how it worked, where two people could go, but the team was still alive, mm-hmm. I thought was really smart. And then the dynamics of the four people yeah. on the team yep. and turning on each other and be mad and somebody's not stepping up. It was the fights within the fights within the fights. Yeah. Oh, it's, it was really smart. But I just like the concept of a team and how it was like, you know, Austin and Brooklyn. And so I think that would be a good one for them where like you could pick your team, right? You could have you, Nani, Leroy, you could pick all your people and it could be like, these are my people. Yeah. And then like, it'll be like, like, like five like other the teams challenge like that. alliances or like besties or something like that where you're on a team with like your besties. Closest. You got yeah. it. There it is. Yeah. The challenge besties or BFFs or whatever. <laughs> But then that was the thing. It's like, maybe you're not besties. Oh, I thought we were besties. What's <laughs> going on here? I think that would work. Listen, you know what else? You guys always have been on the forefront of coming up with very, you know, ingenuitive things. And I think one thing that you came up with, and I, a lot of people know it, a lot of people are aware of it, but they don't know. And I give you credit for it every time I do an interview or anything. It's giving the challenge the the moniker the fifth major american sport thank you i did come up with that that you is you did true. and before i ever met you and i remember the first time me and you ever ever like connected was through twitter and i remember you you, you sent me a tweet and you're like hey man if you're ever in la love to go out to dinner and and uh and then and i told derek and derek's like yeah dude he's the one that always calls the challenge the fifth major american sport and you have been referring to the challenge as the fifth major sport since the mid 2000s yeah yeah it's true and it's so funny because now this season, the fact that everything's been shut down as far as sports are concerned, basketball, football, baseball, 
Yeah. This was the first time that the challenge actually got to step up and got its notoriety or whatever for actually being able to step up and kind of, you know, fill in for the gap that people had as sports. And every interview that I did, it was so funny. Us Weekly, E! News, every one of them was like, yeah, you know, the challenge is the fifth major American sport. And I'm like, do you guys know where that came from? That's so funny. Yeah. 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 The soccer, the soccer fans like to think they're the fifth, but no, I don't think so. You know, it's interesting what happened with the challenge though. Producer Craig, who's, who's producing this pod, who uh, is in his mid twenties, probably 25. And he was saying he doesn't watch challenge because his generation, they don't have cable. What? So yeah, they just like, they get on it, you know, Craig. No, they don't have cable. They don't have MTV they stream in the traditional everything. way. Yeah. So I think one of the things the challenge has to do is they have to get their the seasons on Hulu or whatever yeah. so we can get the 25 and under. Cause I want it to continue to be, I don't want to, I don't want it to be what happened with baseball, where they were like, Yeah, screw young people. We'll yeah. have our World Series games end at 1230 at night. And then those kids grow up and they don't care about baseball. We have to protect the 25 and unders. I agree. I think right now, I think, I think that's incredibly important too. Uh, but I, it, the, the funny thing that's happened with the challenge over the past few seasons is MTV, like all other networks, they were really just really honed in on that 18 to 24 demographic, right? Yeah. As long as those numbers were good, that's all that mattered. But what's, what's unique about the challenge, you know, from any other show on MTV is the fan base. The majority of the fan base for the challenge is like 34 to like 54. Like right. we have a complete, like our fan base is so unique. And the reason why is because we're the only show ever that has taken, that has had cast members recast season after season after season. And the majority of my fans are people that are around my age who have been watching me since my original season of the real world. And I think after a while, MTV just decides like we got to embrace these fans because they are mm. the most loyal. MTV has the most loyal fans of any show on earth. Okay. Rabid. And they are downright, they could be downright nasty at the same time. But there's people that come on from other shows, Big Brother, whatever, Love Island. And the first season they do with the challenge, they're like, I, I, I've never seen a fan base this supportive and this rabid ever in my entire life. And I think, you know, so that's kind of how the, how the challenge is unique, man, is our, our, uh, the majority of our fans don't fit that same, that same mold, you know? Second to last question. What's the best challenge season ever? So personally, I, okay. So my favorite challenge season beginning to end was rivals one. Um, only because for me, that was, I mean, it was the first time we ever. Who was your rival? I forget. Tyler. Yeah. Oh yeah. You guys won. That's why you liked it. Well, that's why I liked it, but the, it was the fashion that we won in. Okay. It was the first challenge where we ever had to relocate. It was the first overnight challenge. It was the, and I will to, to the day I die, the hardest final in challenge history. All right. What that yeah. final did to us was just absolutely vicious. Um, went into that devastatingly, disgustingly, terrifying elimination against Adam and CT, where we had to run blind through this called yep. T-bone. It was basically like, how can we kill you guys? What's a, what's a, what's a Adam creative choked, way? Adam though. Adam fell. He had it. He choked. Um, and then winning that final, I think that one was the hardest fought final. Um, the most difficult final. 
Free agents is right up there too as well. I mean, personally, again, I had to, the alliance that I had to take down in order to win was Jordan, CT, Zach, and Johnny Riley. And I had to beat every single one of them at that one or another in the, uh, at some point in the game. And then I think above all, man, I know this kind of goes without saying, but this season was beginning to end from as far from the bunker, the, the amount of pressure I felt that was, that was on me to, to, to see this thing through, um, you know, and, uh, again, the pressure from the, the, the external pressure, the pressure I put on myself, uh, you know, my legacy, uh, I felt like it was all in line this season and I'm not going to lie, man. I, I, I was, I don't know if from this point on, as much as I want to sit here and tell you, I'm going to see another final. I'm going to win again, dude. Your guess is as good as mine. If that's ever just based on the, the 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 level of 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 competition these days, the diabolical nature of the challenges, the fact that I'm obviously like you know getting later on in life and I'm not the sprint you know as spry as I used to be. Challenges are getting harder, and um, you know just trying to keep up has been difficult. So uh, yeah, so this one was was really special, man, for sure. Well, I w- I was really excited for you. Congrats. Thank you. Who? Thank last you. question. Who are your three people for challenge BFF? Who? That's a, that's a, uh, I'd have they to have say, to do this season. It's too good of an idea. Challenge besties, challenge, challenge BFF, besties. whatever uh, we call it. Leroy, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and then so now, you, two, now you need two, two guys. Females. Yep. Yep. I do a Laurel. Laurel. Yeah, absolutely. Dude. Love her because she's good or because she's your friend. Both, both. Okay. Both. I love, no, me and Laurel dude have, have a very, we have a very, very tight, uh, relationship. Um, and, uh, who would, who would the fourth be? I'd have to say if we're doing besties, we'd probably have to be Nani. I was going to say if Nani wasn't on there, I think she'd be hurt. Yeah. 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 I mean that we just have all of us. I think the four of us, you know, have the longest, longest history with them. By the way, that's a fun team. That'd be a really fun team, man. Be a really fun team. Uh, not sure how well we would perform overall in daily challenges, but we would have a good time doing it. Corey, Nelson, Anissa, and who's the fourth? Corey, uh, Fessy? No, no, it's got to be a girl. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, Corey, Anissa. Nelson, oh, Anissa. Oh, Ka- Kayla. Kayla. Yep. Then CT, Car, Maria. Uh-huh. Do any other guy, any other guys like CT? Wes. So they, yeah, CT and Wes would pretend they like each other. Exactly. Yep. Um, and then Wes would probably try to get Emily in there, but like, no, no, Emily and I are really close. We text yeah, yeah, yeah. every day. No, no, we're best friends. No, She's got to be in there. Yeah. Uh, Ashley, I'm telling a- you. Ashley Mitchell. Yeah. Challenge besties. Tell your dudes. I like it, man. Listen, I think I, I, I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it. Tell the, the Boone and Murray team. Uh, okay. well, I'm sure they're going to listen to this. I'm sure they're going to listen to this and I'll probably be uh, reprimanded for, you know, some of the tea I've spilt, but whatever. That's where we're at. Challenge besties. Bananas. Congrats. Number seven. I'm proud of you. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it, man. Listen, I got it. And I know I tell you this every time, but I'll say it again. It's guys like you uh, that, 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 that really bring the challenge into a whole different dimension um, and having support and, uh, you know, long time fans like, like you is what is what makes it is what makes this really special, man. So, so thank you as well. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good weekend. All right. You too, my brother. Thanks. All right. Thanks so much to Zip Recruiter. Thanks to Ennis Cantor. Thanks to Johnny Bananas. I'm positive this is the first time they've been the only two guests on the same podcast. 
Enjoy the weekend. We will be back. Uh, this is the last time, the second to last time I'm doing a two podcast week. Next week, two podcasts on this feed, Tuesday and Thursday. And we'll be doing at least one rewatchables. If you missed the rewatchables with uh, Wesley Morris on 25th Hour, that happened. Go check that one out as well. Enjoy the weekend and see you again on this feed on Tuesday. I